How are we all doing? Average to good? <laughs> good. How's the house moving going, Rick and Nadine? You're almost there. Did you? It's like, wow, this house comes with a lounge room. Sweet. I love those songs Tim picked out this morning because um, there's been one of those songs was actually like, it's been a favourite of mine um, the last little while. You know, that I need you. I need you. I think we sang it first, yeah? Um, I love that song. It's just, uh, there's, a, there's a version of it on Spotify that I've been listening to a bit lately. And, um, and at the end of it, like as the song sort of builds up and the guy is basically almost yelling at the end, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you, like, I need you. It's just this crying out, this real like heartfelt, just he's stretching out his voice and his, he's just screaming for the Lord. It's just so great. I love that version. So I've been singing, I've been playing it a lot and um, I need the Lord right now um, because I'm a little bit hesitant, I'm a little bit nervous so I just I don't know I, I get attacked by the attacked by doubts and stuff a lot when I get up here uh, to preach and I don't think I do a good job and I um I often think my thoughts come across confusing because they make sense in my head and I don't think sort of like a lot of other people think so I might just pray and I'll stop rambling and we'll we'll try and learn something father I need you oh, we all need you I need you now, Lord, to um, guide me through your word here and just these thoughts that you've given me. Um, I just pray that you would bring them out of me in some sort of cohesive way for your people here today. Teach us from your word, Lord. Tear our hearts open. Drive your truth and your love and the understanding of your word deep within it and then heal our hearts up around it. Help us to go home changed, Lord, and in some sort of way... Um, different than when we walked in here. Tie us together, Holy Spirit. Give me the words to speak. Amen. So, who here has heard of um, who has heard of Bitcoin, or at any stage owned any, or maybe gotten rid of any, or you know, who's who's heard of it? Let's just go with that. We're, yeah. What? Sorry. Did you? Oh, I mustn't have been here. I did it. Was it a few like weeks, months ago, or like a few years ago? Oh, okay. No, 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 we don't. We don't. No, we don't. But um, yeah, exactly. We we could have shared it. But no, it's good that like a lot of us have got like a sort of bit of a at least a basic sort of understanding of maybe that it exists. <laughs> Not even how it works or anything like that. But that's cool. Because in, um, on the 22nd of May in 2010, a guy by the name of Laszlo Hanyeks, it is a great name, Laszlo Hanyeks, I probably, I'm probably got, don't have enough phlegm in my throat to pronounce his last name, Hanyeks, he bought two pizzas with Bitcoin. Now, a lot of you probably think, you know, if, depending on your technical nous, you're probably like, why is that a big deal? Who cares? Did that pizza guy get ripped off or what? You know, like he gave these two visible, tangible, probably delicious smelling, delicious tasting pizzas 
gave them to some guy and some guy said, yeah, no worries, I'll give you some ones and zeros, some fairy internet money. And so, on this account somewhere that exists on a few computers around the world, 10,000 Bitcoin was moved from one account, one key to another key. And then they all the ledgers, they confirm with each other and they all go ding, 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 we affirm that. No one in the middle to change, um, to make sure that the deal went through. It just did. 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas. Now, not a big deal, except fast forward to today, and I think I checked the price earlier, fast forward to today, those 10,000 Bitcoin are now worth a, ready to gasp with me, Steve, a gasp-inducing 90-something million dollars Australian. <gasps> exactly, thanks, Steve. <laughs> So 2010, bought two pizzas today, worth upwards of 90 million. So what happened? Why would this guy cash in all that potential worth for a meal? Two pizzas. I'm sure they were delish, but no matter how much of a foodie you are, it's not 90 million dollars delish, is it? Is it? <laughs> so anyway, what happened? What happened? Does anyone know? I was hoping you guys would ask me that question because that's what we're going to look at today. Oh, good question, Adrian. Good question. I'm really glad you asked that today because mega series today, we're looking at a guy who did something very similar to that. His name was Esau. He did this about 4,000 years ago, though. And what he gave up and what he traded in for a meal was worth a whole lot more than that 90 million bucks or 100 million bucks as to what it might be today. So... Esau, this guy that we're going to look at today, he's this slightly older and much hairier uh, twin of Jacob, eldest child of Rebekah and Isaac. He, um, Esau and Jacob, when they were in utero, inside Rebekah, they were wrestling and fighting so much so that Rebekah was really worried. She goes to the Lord and she says, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, there's two nations and they're just you know, biffing it out inside of you. She's like, whoa, two nations? Man, I'm going to have a lot of kids. But they come out, out comes this really hairy little kid, Esau, and then holding his hairy little ranger Ewok leg is his little brother, Jacob. <laughs> Bring me with you. So he comes out as well. And then we see, we see these two boys as, as they grow up. Esau, the big, hairy, red guy, he turns into this beastly unit of a man. He loves going outside. He loves grabbing his food from animals out in the field. He loves hunting. He loves the, what, we would, what culture would say is the manly pursuits of life. He loved the outdoors. He loved hunting. That was Esau. Jacob goes into this namby-pamby kind of little homeboy that lives in a tent with his mum. And they do cooking and stuff. <laughs> And Joe's like, keep, keep me away from that. <laughs> He's as much more like indoors. He loved the indoors. He loved staying in tents. He loved hanging out with Rebecca. So Esau is this macho. He's the alpha. The birthright of inheritance from Isaac was in line to come to him, being the eldest. And then Isaac, 
um, sorry, Isaac, he, he loves Esau because of um, maybe his manly traits and the fact that he goes and harvests meat for him. Isaac loves the meat that Esau harvests for him. And then Rebecca loves Jacob because they spend time together in the tents, you know, doing whatever they're doing. Knitting, cross-stitch, things like that. No, not things like that. But they're definitely, he definitely loved cooking in tents. So that's, that was Jacob, sorry. So we understand our scene set. We, like our familial um, condition is understood. Yeah? We got it? Down pat? Okay, so let's read. Let's jump into our, the word today. And see what Esau does with this birthright that, is, that he is in line for. Let's jump into Genesis 25, and we'll read from verse 29. So once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. So here in this opening scene, when we, see the, when we see the twins again, we hear of what the sort of people they grew up to be. We see them again, and they're doing what they love. Esau is coming in from out in the field, and Jacob's in the tent cooking. All right? And Esau, out of his mainly overt or manly boisterousness or something, he's like, hey, that smells a bit of all right. I'm fanging for a feed. Give me some of that. I don't know why he sounded like an Aussie or whatever, but... He's, yeah, he comes in, he's hungry. He, I want that. Give me some. And then clever and sly Jacob probably understood maybe that a deal was on here. Maybe he'd talked about it with his mom or something, Rebecca, in the past. And they knew that maybe Esau was prone to thinking with his stomach a little bit. Like, I get that. Adrian's laughing because he gets that. Everyone was like, we get, some of us get a little bit hangry. We, like, we, we, we don't think. Properly, when we're hungry, we get a little bit angry when we're hungry. Maybe this is Esau's problem. Who knows? So he says, in Esau's mind, he's sort of consolidated like this. If I'm hungry, I'm going to die if I don't get this food. What use is a birthright to me then? Who cares what's coming to me? If I die, the birthright useless anyway. I may as well have this tucker. I may as well have this one meal now to keep me going. So... Esau presses the point. He sees, like, sorry, Jacob presses the point. He sees that Esau here is about to break. And he says, swear your birthright to me. Swear it. Swear your birthright to me. And Esau just, whatever. Take the birthright. Grabs the soup and the bread. Scoffs it down and goes on his way without a second thought about what he's done or what he's traded in. So right here, we see, as the Bible says, Esau despised his birthright, i.e. he traded it away for something as simple as just one meal of beans and bread. Or, in our equivalent, baked beans on toast. Let's think about it like that. Simple meal, it just gets you by. It just fuels your body for a few hours. Baked beans on toast. That, all that birthright that was coming his way, traded it away for baked beans on toast. 
He had no care for his birthright. He had no care what it was entitled to him or what was coming his way for being the firstborn son. Because see, the birthrights back in those days, well, we assume it's fairly similar, but in Deuteronomy, the birthright is sort of laid out where the, um, the birthright is an honour laid on the firstborn son, where they sort of, they speak for the father, they take the authority of the father, if the father's ever absent or if he's dead. Um, the child that owns the birthright also has a double portion of the inheritance that any other sons would have. So... That, so, so it was a big deal. Like you think of the wealth that Abraham had that was flowed to Isaac, that then Esau was going to take two-thirds of that. Like, that's substantial. So why? Like why did he cash out so easily? Why? Like is this just the case of just the worst hungry brain fade in the history of ever? Or is there something just more sinister underlying here? Maybe, maybe it is. See, because we see that once Esau, once he'd eaten and he'd gone his way, he got up, he didn't regret. He just got up and just kept going. His hangriness had gone and he just went on like nothing had happened. He despised this birthright. It meant nothing to him. So start flipping through your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. And um, while we do that, I just want to just talk about like this instruction, instruction in the Lord, in, in, in God's word comes to us in, in different ways. Like there's, there's the, you must do this kind of a way. And then there's the way, the sort of implied instruction that we pick up from looking and studying at people's lives who have lived in close communion with God. And then we also get you know, instruction through letting inspired um, songs and poems and stuff wash over us. And so when we sort of meditate on that, like the Psalms and things, we, we are, our, our, our as it washes over our soul, we are changed to understanding better who, what God's character is. So there's all these different ways that the, Lord, that, the, that the Lord's Word tells us stuff. But Hebrews 12, this bit that we're going to read, is very much this instructional, it's a direct instruction for us using Esau as an exemplar. So this verse has been a, has been a driving verse for me this week as the, as the whole Esau story and the cogs have been ticking over in my mind and click, 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 clunk sort of thing. Um, it's been a driving verse for me. It's been pressing itself into me this, this week. So let's read Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So we see in this verse, like, see to it, that first, what's the first part there? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, semicolon. So see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and defiles people. Semicolon, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. So your Bible might call Esau maybe profane, if you've got the King James, or if you've got like the NIV, I think it, mentions, it calls him godless. All right, so, so profane, godless, like just a common sort of man. Like if you look at like the word profane coming from pro, meaning before, 
and phanus meaning, I think it's temple or something. So in, in, it, it's referring to that piece of ground outside the temple. So you think of a temple as combining you know, God's sphere and, and the, the world sphere as these, these sort of places where that overlaps. If you've got like a Venn diagram, there's this place in the middle. That's like where the temple was, where man and, where man and God could come together and meet. Okay? That's the temple, that's the holy place, that's God's place. But the pro, this area out the front, is just where anybody could go. You weren't coming into the temple. You know, if you're just a common person, you didn't even care about the temple. You could still go to this place. That's the area that it's talking about. It's talking about this just normal, secular kind of common place. So by calling Esau this, they're saying he's just a common, secular kind of man. He doesn't value the things of God. He's indifferent to the things of God. So that's his problem. That's what it's saying here. See, Esau, he was born, lined up for this birthright to flow to him from Isaac. The promise of all the world being, like what was coming through this family? What, 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 what's going to come through Abraham's and Isaac? What's coming through this family? The promise of all the world being blessed through the Messiah, coming through the family of Abraham, Isaac, and oh, not Esau anymore, but Jacob. See, he just didn't, he didn't value this. And he thought so little of this promise that he traded it in for baked beans on toast to get him through for a few hours. He took his physical, humanly natural urge and placed that over the promise of God. So we think of that promise, you know, that was coming through the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, well, and... You know, it's hard for us sometimes to understand it. Like, it's easy probably for us to have Esau's mindset around that and be just like, it's this hazy kind of something's coming, something's good, you know, what's, what, what is it going to be? It's a bit like some of us, our understandings of Bitcoin, like it's something out there, I think. You know, it's but in, in our 21st century sort of culture, in our like really sort of materialist mindset, like materialist sort of grabbing society, we need dollar values on things to help us understand the worth of something so that we can compare things, don't we? We need that. So let's consider our Bitcoin example and our bloke from earlier, Laszlo. He's, he's sitting in this, serious, like this very similar position to Esau. By nature of his, just, just by nature of his place in history, he has this opportunity to buy into uh, this new breed of currency coming along at extremely cheap rates, like a third of a cent per coin or something crazy like that. He's got this opportunity. So he's able to buy this 10,000 for probably 30 bucks or something. It's really cheap. But if he truly understood the promise or the potential value or the future of Bitcoin, would he have traded in that 10,000 for pizza? Maybe he would have had baked beans on toast for dinner that night instead of pizza. Who knows? You know? Did he? What was going through his mind? Like if he really knew that that 10,000 Bitcoin in just seven or eight years' time would be worth almost like would be worth about, was it, so let's upwards of 90 probably about $100 million today. Would he have traded it in? Would he have taken the meal? See, there are things that we have been blessed with in our life that are of 
most value and see above all the treasures in, in the world that we see out there, all the treasures in the world, worth much more than $90 million, like you've been blessed, you have been entrusted with the things of God. Yeah? You are trusted with immortal and unending gifts, like if, gifts that will be as fresh in 20 billion years' time as what they are today. When this old world is gone and the trillions of dollars on it and all the Bitcoin and all you can eat pizza on it are gone, okay, God and the things of him will still remain. Because God is this source of eternality. If that's a word, I don't know. Probably not. It just came to me. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus, when he was talking about his upcoming death and his resurrection, he taught those around him, like, who cares about how much of this world you grab? How much of this stuff you hoard? Who cares about any of that? If you lose your own soul, if you end up losing your own soul. This is the distinction that Jesus is drawing between it. This stuff that you're grabbing, it's just temporary. It's just the, the stuff on the world at this point in time. Your soul, this thing lasts forever. Look after that. Your soul has immense value. Your soul was made by God to need God. And see, this is the error that Esau had where he regarded the things of God less important than the earthly temporal stuff that his body wanted at that point in time. So, what are some of the things that we... What are some of the points in our life where we put our earthly temporal things above God's promises. Think about it. I'm getting a drink. I mean, chatterboxing up here. Let's take the old favorite Sunday morning sleep in. Who's guilty of doing them before and missing church? It's all right. My hand's up. I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody. Sunday morning sleep ins. Like you take that. Your body says, hey, I want this. I'm going to take it. I'm going to forsake meeting together with God's people. I'm going to disobey what the Bible says. And I'm going to do what my body wants. So we do that. And that moment when we do that, that is cashing out early. It's cashing out the eternal promises and the things of God that he wants us to do. He wants us to meet together in community. He wants us to come and encourage each other, pray for each other, hear about the things that are going on in each other's lives. He wants us to worship together. His spirit, like little pieces, like little people where his spirit resides in can come together. That's his great picture. He wants that. And when we turn our back on that, that's us cashing in and taking the cheap baked beans on toast over God's promises. And what about, you know, TVs and movies and games? Well, I'm going to have to own this one as well, like, you have a really busy day, okay? You wake up, you heat, your feet hit the your heat fit the floor. No. Your feet hit the floor uh, straight out of bed in the morning. It's go, go, go. It's a busy, busy day. You get home and the kids are just running crazy. And you sort them out and then you just you realize at the end of it, you just haven't had any real time with the Lord today. And then you start smashing the Netflix or you watch a movie or something like that. I've done that. Plenty of times. And that was me cashing out and taking the cheaper option 
taking the baked beans on toast instead of God's promises, instead of what God wants for me. God wants me to be spending time with him and being raw with him and like committing my sins to him and just opening myself up. Lord, this, I'm worried about this, you know, I'm worried about that. And, you know, I'm reading his word and letting it flow over me and letting it affect me. That's what he wants. But I denied in that, I denied it that day. And those days when I've done that. And what about, you know, chasing affection and affirmation of other people and chasing likes in the social media world? This is a big one that probably a lot of us younger people are probably um, prone to. You know, and when, when we strive after the affections of other people more so than just sitting in and understanding, Lord, this is who you say I am, this is how you've made me, there's a peace in that. But when we go chasing after the affections of the world and other people and their admiration and stuff, we get all wound up and we are cashing out cheaply. We're cashing out early. We're taking the baked beans on toast. And then what about then when you, you know, like a sexual thought or something flies through your mind and you, tend, tend, and you want to pursue it? It's like, mm, yes, I'm going to pursue that. And then you go down the rabbit hole and you end up in all these sort of weird, crazy fantasy thoughts or something. Or you might end up going and looking at porn or something like that. Like, that is cashing out cheaply. That's giving into your body's urges and putting them above the promises of God, what he wants from you. And you know, even choosing your stubborn, hard heart over just loving people and loving your brothers and sisters and bearing with other people, that is cashing out early. There are so many times when we cash out, take the cheap option over God's promises over our birthright that we've been given. So many times we do that. And every time we do that, we're just displaying in our hearts like we've got the same issue that Esau had at this point in his life. The same. The same. See, if, if, I, if I hit the nail on the head with one of those descriptors or maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something some other time when you were when you cashed out early. Prayerfully think about that through the week because that's displaying the same attitude of Esau. Because I get it. Like we, we want to be seen as the woman or the man. We want to be seen as the one that people will admire. We want to be seen as macho. We want to be seen as beautiful. We want to be seen as you know, the center of attention or the person that just sits back and, yes, I've got it all together. Yes, we want to be seen that. We want to be seen that way. But what is most important for us as Christians, like when we're following Christ, what is the most important thing in our life? Is it to be chasing after these other things or is it to be putting the king of the universe central in our life and following Jesus? See, we've got to think about this deeply because the fleshy side of us, it wants to always slide into that self-gratification and quickly take that cheap, quick, easy meal and gobble it up because that's what our flesh wants. We need, to, we need to be aware of this because if, if we're not super woke and if we're not walking in the spirit daily and with the, you know, the Lord's help showing us these pitfalls, then we're going to fall into them all the time. So we need to commit ourselves to the Lord and commit our ways to him. Say, Lord, show me. Where are these problems in my life? Where are my weaknesses? Am I hungry? You know, like this, this birthright that we have been given those of us that belong to the Lord, like this birthright, we're born into the family of God. Do we understand that, really? 
Or is it just that sort of ethereal kind of promise that we like, kind of get it? Maybe worth some time just to just think about it deeply, what it means to be born into the family of God. What, what does that mean to you? Spilt blood of Jesus covering your sinful life. That's what it is. This is about a God who loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you and then takes his spirit and seals you with it. Wow. That's the birthright that you have. Isn't that birthright worth holding on to? Isn't that birthright worth holding above everything else? Like above hunger, above your sexuality, above anything, you know, cars, careers, houses, money, whatever else you think you're wanting to grab in this life. Isn't that the core of who you are that you should be holding above everything? Yeah, it is. So that's my main points. But just as I... I want us, just as we go to communion, I want to, um, I only told you half the Bitcoin story earlier. So I want to finish that off and hopefully you'll get an example out of it we can take home. As we just, we think about the sacrifice that was made for us to have this birthright. So remember our friend Laszlo, the guy who traded 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas. On the surface, at the time, that probably looked like a really dumb deal, especially for the pizza guy. Like, what were you thinking, pizza guy, taking a whole lot of maybe nothing and giving away two pizzas? What were you thinking? And then a little while later, we look at it and we go, that's ridiculous, pizza, like, Laszlo, why did you give away 10,000 Bitcoin to the pizza guy? Pizza guy, you're now a hundred millionaire, hundred times over millionaire. Maybe, if you hung on to him, he probably didn't. He probably flogged them off for now five cents each and thought he made a heap. It looks ridiculous, doesn't it? Both these situations look ridiculous. It's not until we understand the rest of the story and with 2020 hindsight, we look back into history and we see that this transaction actually proved that Bitcoin was a means for exchanging value, exchanging wealth. It actually proved that it was a currency. It actually proved that it worked. Okay? This transaction paved the way for it to actually grow into something, for it to actually become something. This transaction made it valuable, started it on its path towards being valuable. This sacrifice, if you like, of 10,000 coins actually made its value. So there was a heavy price to be paid for this incredible value, this unimaginable value that came out of this. So as we go into communion, I want us to think about the heavy, heavy sacrifice that Jesus made for us to give us a birthright. I want us to consider that birthright and what it means and how much more valuable it is than anything else in this life that you're reaching and grabbing for and things that you're prioritizing. So, I'm going to pray and then come on, brothers and sisters, let's have this meal together and, um, and remember our Lord through it. Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you for your sacrifice. 
Thank you for buying us. Thank you for the worth that you've invested in us, Lord. There's nothing we bring to this, Lord. It's all because of you, and we praise you, and we thank you for it. Make us truly thankful. And as we eat this bread and juice from the vine, help us to consider the things in life that we are chasing that we don't need to, that we shouldn't be. And help us to hold your sacrifice for us at the epitome of our lives. Amen.